Welcome to Super Responders, the practical podcast helping us navigate difficult conversations about things that matter. I'm Molly, I'm the host, and I'm on a journey to build my toolkit to start calling out injustice where I see it and build confidence to have these hard conversations about things that matter. Whether it's about climate change, gender, racism, homophobia, change starts the conversation. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Ghana and Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. The creators and guests of this podcast pay a respect to elders past, present and emerging. It always was and it always will be Aboriginal land and sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. Welcome to this special episode of Super Responders where we'll be talking about gender quotas at work. In our last episode, Nikita and I got pretty stuck on how to respond to people saying things like, I don't believe in quotas. I believe the best person should always get the job or there's no point in even applying unless you're a woman. So we've enlisted super responder Alicia Pierce to help us. Alicia, are you happy to introduce yourself? Yes. uh, So I am a gender equity specialist and I have been working on policy and campaigns reform for the past 15 years now. And recently I took a little career break and now I'm working as, uh, uh, I'm doing my PhD uh, in law at UTS, looking at workplace sexual harassment. Thank you for helping us out with this one. So I've got some questions about how we might respond to some of these comments, but also how we support our fellow women in the STEM field who might be hearing this a lot, a lot. So let's just jump in. What are gender quotas and where do we see them? So I think what's really important is to the language around quotas and targets is quite different. And from what I understand, so you you yourself work in a STEM field, right? Yeah, I'm an urban planner. So I'm what I've been working in engineering consultancies for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you'll be very familiar then with this kind of coming language around quotas and targets and, and people are talking about the, the lack of women in the workforce and the need to promote women to more senior positions. And when we, when we think about that, we always hear about targets and quotas and often those two words are used interchangeably. But the fact is quotas and targets are quite different things. So people, people will always use the word quotas and it seems like quite a hard word, you know, because it is actually, it's quotas are something that are imposed from outside. They're um, something that you have to meet. And I think often in the language of organisations, if you don't meet your quota, you won't get your bonus or you won't get your pay or you won't meet the organisational outcome. Quotas are usually something that's imposed by the government. So uh, in countries like Norway or even actually in Victoria, we've seen quotas imposed by a government to get larger numbers of women on boards. And that's been quite successful because the government's mandated and tied funding to having a certain number of women on boards to the extent that in Victoria now you have 50% of women being appointed to all government boards. It's a small subset of boards, but it's a big, it's a big achievement. But what what you're I think what you're probably talking about and what people who are um, who are in you know in the real world and are working for organisations are probably experiencing are not quotas but targets, which is something that the organisation works on, considers, and then decides to incorporate into their planning and day to day work. And those targets are sometimes they can you know they can be harder, they can be hard targets, but most of the time they're aspirational. A lot of the time they're they're about getting a certain number of women into positions globally, or maybe they might be targeted towards a particular area. 
and they're usually backed up um, by implementation strategies like recruiting more women, promoting more women, sometimes having more women in graduate fields or graduate positions so that with a plan to, in the best case scenario, a plan to over 10 and 15 years to make the organisation more gender healthy. And you usually see them in areas where there are very few women. And the other thing is you often see them in public sector workplaces where I know a lot of engineers work. There's a lot of public sector engineers, but uh, you you often see them, global ones, in public sector workplaces. And you're beginning to see them in organisations like the big four. You can see them in um, PwC, uh, KPMG, have partner targets. So that, that it is a it's a subtle difference, but I think I think it's really interesting because when you when you were talking to me about super responders podcast and the language of quotas, I think the first thing to know is a lot of the time when people in your workplace or, or people that you know are talking about quotas, they're not actually talking about quotas; they're talking about targets, which are an organisational imperative. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and I think the word. Quota has maybe like a stigma attached to it as well because mm. it, it has this connotation that someone might be missing out because there's like a, perm, I don't know, it sounds stricter, but a target sounds a lot more positive. And it does sound more positive, doesn't it? I don't, sometimes in, in practice there's often a big difference between quotas and targets. Sometimes there isn't a big difference between quotas and targets, but often the language has been adjusted to be called targets uh, just to make it feel a little bit more friendly. I think that's actually a really good observation. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I like that as a first takeaway is just using or changing the terminology to targets because mm. that's what they are, especially if we're not referring to, as you said, like in like boards and stuff, that might be a quota and that mm. might be a bit more mandated. But usually when we're having these conversations, it is about our tangible environment in the real world mm. and not politics or boards. Mm. Um, it's just, yeah, it's graduate targets and mm. the target is to get usually a 50-50 intake of men and female and male grads. To be honest with you, most of the targets are far less ambitious than that. They're usually around 30 to 40%, especially in STEM fields, because I think the thing that I have found, uh, so as, so one of the roles that I used to do, I've done a bit of work like a few years implementing gender equity targets, setting them up and, and starting to implement them in a university environment, which is a pretty uh, safe environment in lots of ways, but then in other ways, not, not as safe as you'd hope it to be for things like this. And it's an environment where they really value expertise as well. So the conversation we were always having was, uh, you know, there, are, there simply isn't a large enough pipeline of, of women. So what this meant often in practice for many organisations is that the targets aren't 50%, the targets are 30%, the targets are 40%. And often those targets aren't met. And the reality is that for many organisations, they set targets and they don't really sit down and think about what it's going to take to meet them. And that's where you get a lot of criticism from people who are very intimate with the hiring pool, who know that, you know, currently and at present, there, there may be very good female candidates or there may not be a, quant- a large quantity of very good female candidates and there might be a large competition for any female candidates. So there is always a grain of truth when people are talking about their opposition to quotas and targets, particularly in the STEM field where there are fewer women and where they're coming from is that they see this, this grain of truth echoed around them and it informs a lot of their views. 
So I think if you think, like it's, I think it's really good to start thinking about targets and language and it's also really good to think about uh, where it is that people are coming from when they're expressing opposition to an organisational imperative. It's usually around their inability to meet it and, and how, how it's going to impact on their day-to-day work, what, what a large amount of work they're going to have to do to, to meet this new organisational imperative and that's where often you get resistance and it's also often, as we know, fueled by sexism. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's also in there as well. But a lot of the time it's also fueled by just being quite a lot of hard work, people not knowing where to start. And usually that's in the HR space of like potentially mm. like recruitment is like, oh, well, where do we find, where do we find this um, minority or where are they? How do we reach them to help them apply or how do we reach the good ones? The good ones, what an interesting phrase. <laughs> Well, I think that that's probably leads us into one of the first common phrases that I often hear is the meritocracy question, um, Mm. which is, I believe the best person should always get the job. Mm. Well, you know, look, so I I have a couple of answers to this and I think, uh, I think it really depends where you come from. Being a professional in this space, the answer that I would give to people in my workplace is quite different than my own view. And I can tell you my own views are probably a little bit radical. <laughs> so my own views my own views are, you know, that actually I can point to a huge number of examples where the best person doesn't always get the job. But then also what is the best person? What defines the best person? How do we design jobs and set them up? so that we have particular skill sets and are those skill sets skill sets that are overwhelmingly held by by men or are they or do we design jobs with skill sets that are overwhelmingly held by women so these are my particular views but I I think it's possible that that you and your friends and other people who might be listening to this podcast have a slightly different view on that on these things and and that view is that they also believe as do I that the best person should get the job so I think if someone says that to you, I think it's really worthwhile thinking about the context, who is saying that to you and the context in which they're saying that to you. And for me, this is something that's always, that's generally said by two groups of people. The first group of people is people who are close to you and, and that's a, an important conversation to have. And the other is people in your workplace. And for people who are in your workplace, if they talk about the best person getting the job, I think a really interesting and easy thing to do is to start a discussion about what the organisational imperatives are that have led the organisation to set targets, gender targets, and what what needs to happen to support that. So if, if the best person is going to, should always get the job, how is the job designed to ensure that the best person for the organisational imperatives gets the job? So an engineer's job, for instance, it has some very technical aspects and, and often those are measured by degree qualifications, accreditation with board. There's some really clear ideas of what it is to be an engineer, but those are those are basic things. Everybody who is applying for a job to be an engineer, hopefully, uh, can point to um, their accreditation, particularly in, in more junior roles. They can point to their accreditation. They can point to whatever the prerequisites are for the job. What usually gets people hired for jobs is things that are more intangible. So their cultural fit, the way that they approach the interview, sometimes levels of confidence, even though that may or may not have anything to do with the role they're applying for, um, which might be a technical role. It can be their manner. It can be just often it's often the vibe. Once you get people who are all 
on a level, you know, with the basic requirements. It's the vibe of the application. It's it's extra experience they might have. It's it's a whole lot of different things. So really, the question is how how are you? What, what is it that you're looking for in those extra things um, that that would make someone the best person for the job, um, as opposed to somebody else who has all the basic qualifications and might be the best person for the. A, the job under the new organizational imperatives Mm. it's a technical answer right no it's I think it's perfect because it's those intangibles I guess that get a bit murky right with gender Mm. so Mm. if you are a you already have an overwhelming majority of a certain gender in your engineering team and you're looking for a vibe that's going to gel well with that engineering team and even unconsciously you're going to be looking for someone who's like you in the candidate pool. So I guess where, especially graduates, when you're looking and everyone's kind of, yeah, as you said, coming out with that base level, mm. you have a piece of paper. Um, but yeah. what gets you the job is like, are you the best person? And the best person is where it gets murky. Yeah. And I think it's also, I think it gets murky and it also speaks to the people who are in the workplace, as you've said. But I think it's worth thinking about when, if you're having that conversation with a colleague, it's worth, in the first instance, if they're a colleague that you want to continue working with, it's worth talking to them about. The fact is that the organisational, the organisation setting targets is actually about culture change. Mm-hmm. So what they're looking to do is not to replicate in the hiring process the same set of culture and values that have been apparent over the past however long, the way it's always been. What they're looking at is ways to change culture. So essentially that's what targets are about. They're not about and they're not arbitrary and they're not, they're about cultural change in a particular organisation to support broader social and cultural change. And often they're in place because the organisation has an imperative from its investors or it has imperative from the government, maybe sometimes in the case of quotas, maybe there's funding attached to having gender equity. That's why that's why targets are in place. They're not in place to disadvantage men. They're in place to advantage the organisation, actually. And, and when people talk about... Uh, so if that's someone in your workplace who says that to you and the first time they say that to you, it's really worth having that conversation with them. The second time they say that to you, it's often and often I think with many of the questions that people and your, your colleagues raise, the first time it's always worthwhile having the conversation. The second time it's often worth stopping and saying, you've said this to me before. I wonder if you're questioning my ability to do my job. And that's the second time. The first time, it's definitely worthwhile having a conversation with valued colleagues and people that you want to work with. But the second time, it is time for them to start considering what their opposition is and why, particularly when you've explained to your, your point of view to them um, and why it is that they're coming back on you about it because actually you don't need to work with that. It's not really acceptable. So that second time, would it be appropriate to say like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, you're questioning my ability to do the job? I think it's now it's about organizational targets and a direction that a whole company's going in. So maybe that's a better question towards HR. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, obviously these are casual, often we have casual conversations with friends and we have casual conversations with colleagues. And it's really, this is part of being a human being in the world. You know, nobody's going to suggest that the first time someone says this to you, that you respond aggressively. And I actually, I mean, Whilst the word aggressive is very freighted when it comes to women, I do think there's something to be said for um, people when people generally want to have a conversation and are interested, you know, when there are changes in the organisation, everyone always wants to talk about it. They always want to talk about it. But when somebody 
continues to raise it and they continue to raise it specifically with you as a woman because that's why they're raising it with you, it, responding in an assertive way and asking them why they've asked you. So not, not saying, not necessarily saying at this point, you know, you're, you're telling me this for a wrap, but simply saying, simply saying, I wonder why you're asking me this again. I've told you my point of view on this. I wonder why you're asking this of me. Are you questioning my ability to do my job maybe? And I think often that's something that they have to sit back, that puts the ball back in their court. Because I think the other thing, looking at these questions that are asked often of women in STEM or women in STEM are often asked to justify their own presence in places, you know, it's not actually, actually not on you to justify your presence. You've been hired. You can do the job. And while the first time it might be polite to engage in discussion about it, actually you're not there. You're not there to have a lot of things put on you. You're there to do a job. Absolutely. And I think one of the important things that I wanted to ask you was about like a lot of my female colleagues um, have this internal doubt of potentially hearing this type of conversation a lot. It makes them feel like, oh, well, is there a part of me that believes that I did get this job because of a quota? I think that's something uh, I've heard that a lot. I think that that internalizing that kind of self-doubt the only people it goes to serve are the people around you who are trying to make you feel unwelcome, right? So I think if someone says, if, if you feel to yourself that you only got a job because of a quota, I think that's a really, first of all, that's a reflection on the organisation. If you genuinely feel that you only got a job because of a quota, when you yourself know that you've got the baseline credentials and you're perfectly able to do the day-to-day work, um, and let, let's face it, like, Whilst we might all like to be exceptional, the fact is most people in the workforce aren't exceptional. That's the other thing to think about. I think that's many people, many women, particularly women who've excelled in male-dominated environments, they take it on themselves. They feel they need to be exceptional. And often the the reality is that that people do need to be exceptional to stand out. But the reality is as well that most people aren't exceptional. You go to work, you do your job to a reasonable standard and you come home. And if you... you, uh, are in your workplace and you feel that you're able to hit those things, then you have every right to be there. And if you feel that you only got hired because of a target, then that's a reflection on the company. And it could be a positive reflection on the company, that the company is, is making big changes and that you're part of that. Or it could be a very negative reflection on the company. It's not a reflection on you because all of us, people don't continue trying to do jobs that they can't do. Yeah. At a baseline, you know, like yeah. all of us have had a job where we've out of our depth for the first six months, right? And that's yeah. pretty normal. But people don't continue doing jobs that they can't do. And the other thing is, why is it a bad thing to have got a job because of a quota? I should think it's, it, it's, I mean, people get jobs for all kinds of reasons. The person next to you might have got the job because his uncle was a supervisor, you know, or because he had an internship at the right place at the right time. What is the difference between any other organisational reason for getting a job? over another candidate and getting a job for this organisational reason. Hopefully, I mean, this is something that we take on ourselves and women in STEM particularly because it's still very male-dominated take on themselves, but hopefully in 20 years' time the female applicants won't even have to have this conversation with themselves because either quotas will be completely accepted as the only mechanism to get women into STEM, which I hope not, or because the workplace will be more equal and they won't have these things put on them. 
it's it's easy to tell people not to worry about it. It's harder not to, you know, it's harder to feel that. But actually, you have every just as much right to be there as the person who was hired because they had a reference from someone that the person on the panel knew. That's so true. I'd never even thought about it like that because that, yeah, and that happens so often. That's it's a joke, and especially in our town because it's like very small country town. <laughs> it's always about who you know Adelaide. to get a job. Yeah, Adelaide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big small country town. Yeah, um, <laughs> but um, it's always kind of like talked about. Like, yeah, you. It's not. A, it's not about like what you know. It's about who you know for job. And that's so true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between that and having a quota? And yeah, there's literally no difference. Yeah, there's oh, no difference. That's so helpful. So, what about if we're having the conversation to someone that we that we really care about, and they're saying things like they believe that the best person should get the job, or that good male candidates are missing out because of quotas? What about the conversation with someone that we really care about, and we we want to just maybe educate them about quotas? Yeah, I think that's really that's these are important conversations to have. The co- the conversations with our colleagues. They're just part of a job, right? And that, that you can choose how much they touch you. I mean, sometimes they touch you more than you want them to. But mm-hmm. with those colleagues, you can shut them down if you need to. Yeah. If you're feeling you could be assertive enough. With with partners or parents or um, family members, good friends, it's often a series of conversations. And sometimes you'll get to the end of those conversations and you'll find that um, your views haven't really, no person's views haven't actually changed your views too much. And then that's about... Think, you know, like that, that it's about thinking about the relationship and how much you value that, you know, yeah. because these things are really fraught for people. I think often if um, a male, and it's often a male um, friend or mm-hmm. um, family member who's saying to you, you know, um, male candidates are missing out because of quotas, often because there's a degree of closeness with those people that they feel like they're able to say things to you they wouldn't say to their colleagues. Like I think one of the questions that you you were suggesting someone might ask is, you know, if there's no point applying if you have unless you have long hair and boobs, it's not likely that you're going to, oh, I hope to God you're not going to hear that in your workplace. <laughs> I sure might, so, actually. Yeah. I, I don't want to rule anything out. <laughs> it is kind of more, more likely that that kind of informal and, and let's face it, highly sexist language is going to come from friends and, you know, people who feel comfortable with you and feel like they can say that to you, right, yeah. and, and that it's not going to end the relationship. Um, <laughs> so I guess for, for, people who, for people who are closer, a really good technique that I have seen used to great effect is to ask people, you know, what 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 is what do you mean by that? What do you if someone says, you know, I think the best person should get the job, it's so what do you mean by the best person? How do you decide who the best person is? And really start to understand understand where they're coming from and understand what it is that's driving the question. Because I think if you start from a position with your friends and family that you you've you've thought these things through or maybe you haven't thought them through, but you're the beneficiary of them and you, you want them to continue. Um, if you start from the, from the premise that they're benefiting you and that's why you want them and they're benefiting hopefully other people as a result too, often the questions that are being asked by friends and family are because they've, they perceive that they're missing out on something and so their opposition to it will often be informed by a sense that they um they're not benefiting from it and that's why they have that opinion. You are benefiting from it and that, that might be why you have that opinion. You know? So if someone if someone asks you these questions, it's always worth understanding where they're coming from and then 
And then the conversation you can then have with them is about the reasons that they think these things rather than the actual opinions. Again, this is, I think it's often beyond the scope of, so I've been talking from my professional experience around the workplace for the other conversations. I think with individual conversations, it's really about how much you value the relationship and what you want to invest in. them. So if you have a, if you have a family member who's saying to you, male, good male candidates are missing out because of quotas, the question is, you know, so what, what's happening to good female candidates now? Mm. You know, um, and also how do you, you know, what, what, um, what does that mean that good candidate, male candidates are missing out? What, what, what does that matter? Yeah. they get a job yep. somewhere else or are you worried that they won't get a job at all? Are you worried that there'll suddenly be a glut of male engineers? <laughs> Very unlikely we're in a skill shortage, let me tell you. You know, so what, what do you, are you worried that you'll miss out because of a quota? Are you worried that your friends will miss out? What, what does that mean for your workplace if you have women instead? Mm. And just really getting to understand what it is and their oppositions are. And often the, oppositions are, the opposition is, is something that's not compatible with other aspects of who they are and that's coming from a place that's not necessarily aligned with the things that you love about them. Mm. So, <laughs> but that's, a, that's somebody that you really want to invest a lot of energy in, right? Yeah. That's, uh, that's not a colleague. I love that lining of questioning and saying, asking, okay, well, who is the best person for the job? And what traits might they have? And so it's interrogating it, getting it down to maybe more bite-sized pieces so you can work with those pieces rather than this giant topic that has so many facets. Is that is that right? Well, look, that's what I would do. I mean, this is the thing. This is emotional labour that we all have in our relationships, right? If you really love and value your friends and family, which all of us do, you know, then you're usually willing to have these conversations up to a certain point too. That's so true. There does get a point where you're not willing to have the conversations anymore and then that's a matter for however you choose to deal with that. <laughs> I choose some Christmas when you've had a couple of drinks or something. Yeah. But <laughs> They're often, yeah, the, the platform yeah. for some, many great challenging conversations. Yeah. I think it's also worth noting, I, I, I think you touched on a really um, important point before and, and that is this isn't just an experience, it's an experience of, of women and also that not all women have the same experience. Often these workplaces are overwhelmingly white and we do in Australia live in a, a, a white culture that uh, despite, you know, an increasing, increasingly multicultural society, particularly in Sydney and, you know, less so in the regions, but particularly in Sydney, which is where I am, it's not a, always a positive experience for people of colour in the workplace either. And it's particularly for women of colour, the the conversation is quite different. Oh, that's really, really helpful. I feel like I've learned so much about targets, not necessarily quotas, <laughs> which is the language that we'll be using from here on in. Uh, but um, is there anything else that you'd like to add that might be helpful for our listeners in having the conversation about gender targets? And I think that there's also a lot of online resources because it's the question that people have thought about a lot. A lot of those resources are targeted towards changing people's minds on a personal level, and and so so a really good resource that I've seen it was a resource that was taught that was giving people tips on how to change their friends and families' votes in the U.S. election, and so really it's a really good conversational guide to how you might ask someone about why they think something, talk to them about where their their biases are, and then continue over time to have these discussions 
So those are, there is actually a, quite a lot of stuff online that comes from activist circles. It's really helpful because those are the kinds. That's the kind of area where people are trying to support people to change their minds for a particular particular purpose. Yeah. Um, so so there is there's some good stuff online. There's also some really good website. There's one website I like in particular called askamanager.com, which is oh. a fantastic woman who who writes this very prolific website. People write into her with their managerial problems, and she's very direct and good and all of her advice seems excellent so it's like a it's it's like an advice column for the workplace and it's often quite funny because as you can imagine people's work dilemmas are really strange sometimes you're not alone you know (laughs) and so I think it's really helpful but yeah there's a lot of resources online for this that will support you in having these conversations if that's what you want to do but the only other thing I would say is it's really common for particularly for women in male-dominant dominated environments to really question themselves and I think starting starting from a place that you have every right to be there and and, um, the way that you got there is actually not that important so long as you're doing what you've been employed to do uh, which most which almost all of us are able to do to some extent or other it's not on you it's on the organization yeah I love that I think that's really important and a, a really fantastic takeaway we really really appreciate your time and sharing your knowledge and experience working in this space with us and I hope that it can be helpful for our listeners in becoming a super responder so thank you so much Alicia thank you for having me on That's been another episode of Super Responders. Thanks for tuning in and for your patience. I'm on a learning journey. So if there's something that we've missed during this episode or if there's any way we can be better, then please just let us know. So please get in touch. There's a feedback form in our Instagram bio. And if you like the show, please follow us on Instagram at super.responders or send us a note at superresponders or one word at gmail.com and like and subscribe wherever you listen. You might even want to give us a review and that would be amazing. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Super Responders, the podcast. We'll see you there.